from beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. And welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey, and this is Mark. Hiya, it's episode 87 and we are talking about science fiction film The Salute of the Jugger. Came out in 1989. In this episode, we'll reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of narrative and film language, plus a nice deep dive into Rukta Howe's eyeballs. At least one of them. One of them, yeah, that's right. Uh, well, half the film. If you only paid half price for this film, you get one eyeball. One. <laughs> and we'll probably talk about some sort of science along the way. I think Sorry would delve into some, some of them. It'll be gruesome science. Gruesome science. Cool. Um, now, this film brings uh, Rukta and David Webb Peoples back into the same room because he's the script writer of Blade Runner. I, I didn't pay attention to that when we did Blade Runner. Yeah. And when we did this one, it was just coincidental. Well, yeah, for us, <laughs> I think this is one of those examples of, you know, a screenwriter going, ooh, Rook is bloody good. I've got to get him back in front of the camera, don't you reckon? Okay. Um, David Webb Peoples only has directed a couple of films, this being one of them, but he is the scriptwriter of Blade Runner, another science fiction film, 12 Monkeys, and the TV series of 12 Monkeys that's around now. Plus, he's also got an Oscar nomination for the... Western, Unforgiven. And quite often they do say sci-fi and Westerns are very similar, don't they? Sorry. It's, well, some it's more so than others if you look just at... Just the elements Battle changed. Beyond the Stars and, <laughs> and Star Wars. But yeah, uh, he's done, he did a whole bunch more. There was one, uh, Leviathan, which was uh, during the popular time of let's have an underwater sort of mm, that's spooky right, yeah. one. Yeah. And that had... Oh, what's that guy's name from Robocop? Had Robocop in before he was Robocop. Ooh. Peter Weller. Peter Weller. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. There you go. So look, anyway, <laughs> before we go any further, yeah. this is your spoiler warning, warning. warning. Turn, Turn back, back now, warning, uh, watch warning, the warning. film. It is a bit challenging to find, but if yes. you do enough searches, you will eventually find some sort of a link to get this thing. And it does depend where you are because you can get it really easily in the US. In the US, it's still around. So it, if you're listening in the US... It was filmed in Australia, released in Australia, uh, but we... It's hard you know, to get in Australia. It's on VHS here, apparently. Yeah. But anyway... Probably uh, should have gone op shopping before, go, actually. Go watch the film and then tune back in and then hear about how the in the land of the blind, the one-eyed <laughs> man is king. Yes. See, I, that was, I had to look that up from Minority Report. We're... Stumped by that one. Oh, you've just given me, yes, there was eyeballs in Minority Report and there's eyeballs in yes, Salute yeah. of the Jugger. Yes, because here's, here's your first spoiler, as we kind of hinted at. Oh, we've already warned you. Salo lost one of his eyes. He does. And he does. yes. He didn't have them nicely surgically removed by the creepy surgeon like Tom. No. In Minority Report. He, yeah, in this one, they just out of, out of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And he's... 
just so um, accepting of his fate, isn't he, in this film? No, one must. He wants to be king in the land of the blind. That's right. So what was your... Oh, no, hang on. Salute of the Jugger. It's also known as... The Blood of Heroes. Yes, that's what it is in the US, in Australia, Salute of the Juggers, and in other parts of the world. Who Who knows? Let us know. Is it what is this film called where you come from? Send us a message. This is in the future, not unlike Mad Max. Now, we haven't looked at Mad Max yet, but it's a very Mad Max world. It's oh, post-apocalyptic. You know, Lord Vile in this film, yeah. the actor is from Mad Max he is. and Fury Road. Yes, he, he is. He is Joe Immortal from Fury yeah, Road. And, um, He's got a bit of a career in post-apocalypse. <laughs> he was, what do they call that? Typecast? He's... Stuck in that role. There you go. There's another post-apocalyptic film. Oh, come on, I want to do a Christmas movie. Yeah. Can't you get me anything, Agent? A post-apocalyptic Christmas. <laughs> okay, yes, I'm out. So in a future where most of mankind and technology is wiped out, six people travel from place to place playing a brutal form of, I don't know if it's football or... I don't know, whatever the hell it's dog called. Dog skull ball. Dog skull ball, yeah. And they use a dog skull and they slam it on a stick and they hope to one day play in the league, in the big leagues, in the big city. And get silk. And get silk. They're yeah, very they're excited by silk. They are, they are. Which is actually a really nice touch, isn't it? That, you know, like it, it would be something like silk would be very fascinating to the, the sort of poor people out in the wastelands, I think, in, the, in this particular world. What was your number one takeaway from Salute of the Jugger? Look, this is uh, just to be a little bit of a downer here, but Ugh. what really struck me in the Salute of the Jugger my number one takeaway is that sport is still used even in the post-apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Uh, it to, would never go away. It's still used to sort of give poor people some sort of a hope mm. while simultaneously oppressing them. <laughs> and it's like you, you look at these films and you can also draw parallels with, say, The Hunger Games where it's sort of it's seen as it's like a lot of in The Hunger Games, a lot of the districts and I hope I'm not spoiling this for anyone, but a lot of the districts sort of see the Hunger Games as this amazing thing, you know, and if you win and you become one of the winners, you're mm. like, well, oh, my goodness, you're, you're so good. Yeah. But in reality, the winners are only just slightly above the, you know, the dogs of yeah. the rest of the principles. They're still nowhere near the capital. And it's the same in Salute of the Jugger. And really mm. it's... Similar, not quite as stratified here in, in normal real world, but sports is a way for a, a lot of poor people seek to use sports as a way of getting out of poverty. Yep. And when they do get into the you know, big leagues, whatever, they're still kind of below the owners mm. and, you know, the, the owning class of people who, who run the teams and get all the real benefits. Yeah. You know, you're going, okay, you're a baseball player, you get... $30 million over four years. I mean, that's fantastic. That's unbelievable, fascinating wealth. But you've got to realise the owner of that team can afford to pay you $30 million over four <laughs> years. So how much are they getting? Yes. And do they slum it with their team or do they just use their team as like a status thing, as in like have a party and, oh, look, the star players of whatever team is here, how cool. Yeah. And everyone goes, this is really cool. We've got the star players of this team. But in reality, that you know, they're still... Separated. Yeah. Again, not as much in these days because nowadays it, there's even, you know, there's, there's smart people who are able to work with players who have come from non-financially literate backgrounds mm. and they work together to, you know, like, 
do fashion lines, perfumes, movies, whatever else, and thus kind of break yeah. free of that. But in Slew of the Jugger, it strips all of that down to the bare essentials where you've got these guys, their only hope of living the good life is to play Jug. Jugger, yeah. I, did they even say what the name of this sport was? No, I don't think they did. I, I didn't pick up it because they're Juggers. Yeah, they're Juggers. The, the Juggers are coming. The Juggers are coming. The Juggers are coming. Yeah, anyways, dog ball. Dog ball. Uh, <laughs> Doug's goal. But, I, I mean, on that, it is it is an interesting thing, isn't it? Like that sport is a bit universal mm. and sport is also a way for the working class to maybe leapfrog up out of the working yeah. class. And, and I think... I think probably more so in the past that was a that was a way, and this film really does. You know, there is that scene where Gandhi, the coach of the this team of juggers, and he's talking to uh, what's her name, the the main quick and Kidder. Kidder, that's it. Kidder. Sorry, I just blanked. I mean, in my notes, she's just girl, <laughs> new <laughs> that girl. Is Kidder. It is until Kidder. I recognize, until I saw her name, and, went, oh, and, and she's sort of asking about the nine cities and the league and that, and and he's like, oh, you know, they bring you in, they they make you one of them, but you're not quite one of them. You know, you are separate from them, and yeah, I just I think that was a really interesting thing, and you're definitely raising that that same idea. I mean, this film doesn't suggest you could become like what The Rock did. You know, and The Rock did that, like well, Dwayne Johnson. That's, he, that's he, the thing, isn't it? He wanted to be an American football player and he did do that, but he wasn't ever really good enough. Yeah. And then he migrated to wrestling and even in wrestling he became a pinnacle, you know, like a top of the WWF. But even then he still wasn't probably completely free of his own he, brand well, and image. As a member of, the, as, of wrestling, he was still promoting wrestling. Wrestling, yeah. He didn't have uh, – he wasn't – Influential, no, on his own. He yeah. was influential so long as the wrestling really federation yeah. allowed him to be, because yeah. he was the Rock. Yeah, but now he's just Dwayne Johnson, and yeah. he does productions, and he, you know, he helps other people, and he does a lot of stuff outside. So yeah, I mean, like I said, now you you can get these people who who figure out ways mm. sideways things, but the the salute of the jugger here obviously shows this this level where you've you've brought up. And then you get to like Gonzo, who's like, you know, top of thing, but he's still just taking orders from the, yeah. the big guy. He's as far as that, you know, Lord Vile, I don't know the name. <laughs> so as far as Lord Vile's concerned, Gonzo's no step up. Like mm. he's a useful tool. Yeah. And he's cheap to keep, you know, like just take, give him some food and people like you know talking to him so he feels fancy but they like talking to him as a novelty not yeah, as not, as not because they're interested in his opinion yeah. or uh, you know they want to do a trade deal or anything with him it's just you know oh what's it like smashing someone's skull and I say <laughs> oh well you know it's, oh you know it's pretty good anyway uh, <laughs> anyway there you go so as I said it's, it's a bit of a, a bit of a downer thing but that's what I came away with from this film yeah interesting um, what about is this hope warning or experiment Look, it, you, I think you could put this into a warning, all right, being post-apocalyptic, but you've just gone off a downer. I'm going to put a little bit more hope back in and say that it was hope for me. I feel that Kidda is her quest in this film. She kind of strives to go to the league. She makes it to the league. She Then when she's there, she realises it's not all it's cracked up to be, but then realise... But then sort of champion on in that third act and actually winning, to me it's like there's a bit of hope in the world. And the film doesn't 
end on a happy note in the way that we don't really know if she goes on and has a successful dog skull ball career in the league. We, we could we do with know. a She's sequel a, of this, really, yeah. I think. Is she, you know, like the best quick ever? Does she go down in folklore history and have a, a successful Does career? she lead a, a revolution? That's right, and change the whole game. We don't actually know. It's left open. But I feel like there's hope in this film that... I mean, realistically, it is about her coming from nothing to the top and it's not about money and success and all that. It's actually that she achieved her goal. So I'm going for a hope story. Yes, it's. I think so. But it, I was thinking a little bit experiment as in, you know, what is it for in the future and what yeah. sort of has a sport evolve? It kind of devolves a bit but also evolves a bit. But it's more so hope, like, like you said, because it is Kidder overcoming things. It's even Sallow overcoming his mm. fear of returning to the league. And and also we see that although it's really brutal, the game, and the juggers are brutal to each other, you know, even the very first game, when it ends, they, like, help each other up. It's very mm. sportsmanship-like. They even, like, they, the, even the losers pay the trophy price and... Even and then at the end in the league, when when um, he is told to kind of like kill, you know, Rukta, it's like he goes, oh, I don't really want to do that. Like in the game, I'll smash a skull if yeah. it's in the way of the dog skull. Yeah, but I'm not going to like deliberately crush his skull. You know, yeah. so it's kind of like there's there is emphasis that. There is. It's just. It's just a violent game. That's all. Yeah. Like, is it very different? He used to say Aussie Rules really violent. You know, like it's not as violent now, but you know, it is just a game. As long as you can walk away at the end of the game and go, oh, yeah, we're all still. Yeah, they're fine. not. Like, they're not trying to they're, hurt each they're, other. They're trying to the win the entertainment game. Entertainment of the day, and mm. in this post-apocalyptic world, it's brings people together. You could see the the towns liked it. They liked watching this game. Oh. Jeez, and they seem to even like the aftermath, like the parties. They seem yeah, they had to a, a good party. party afterwards, and yeah. uh, the town juggers were scarred and battered <laughs> looking. To, oh, jeez, I don't know. If you'd, uh, I suppose you'd find people who would be willing to do it in any yeah, given in walk this of life. Kind yeah. of, you know, there, there's many moments in this film that it's really detailed, it's bleak, it's, you know, the guy hasn't eaten for six months and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's 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 implied it's a pretty brutal world, this one. So that's why in the you know in the cities they've got silk, whilst Shit. we're out here. Who knows what they're doing out there? And, and there's like lots of dog meat, hey, lots of burnt dogs in yeah, the cell. Yeah, they had cooked dogs. Oh, that would be your number one takeaway. What's cooked? My dogs number one takeaway is sweets our dog. <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> Minus the sauce, so it's just dog. So this is it's a bit of an older film. I remember seeing this film as a child on TV. Uh, as soon as I started watching this, I was like, oh, I know this film. Like I kind of probably didn't quite connect it maybe like other some of the classics we've looked at but as soon as i started rock you know the the juggers are coming the juggers are coming and you know rockta comes around the bend and that and even when they started playing this game you know i had memories of seeing this as a child on tv probably a couple of times i, I watched this film but i haven't seen it since i was a child how about yourself uh, I watched it the first time uh, on vhs mm. so this was a premium a, a teenage Film watching sleepover event yep. thing. Um, I Perfect. think. Oh, the other thing, David Peoples did the Lady Hawk. Yes, also did, Rutger yeah. Hauer. Yeah, right. So there I think go. this was my older brother had seen Lady Hawk, mm. and you know, being the good little D and D nerds, we loved this whole <laughs> sort of that sort of adventure genre, mm. and 
he said that was good. So my friends and I, we watched that on, you know, we don't have sleepovers most weekends. So we watched that and then, uh, you know, a future effort to go get some videos, we found another video with Rutger Hauer's face on the front and we went, hey, well, you know, <laughs> we that, like that, that kind of looks adventurous. Yeah, yeah. Let's give that a shot. And it's a shame we don't do fantasy movies too because Ladyhawk's a, a really interesting one, mm. the soundtrack especially. Stay but tuned for Surrey's side podcast. A side podcast. <laughs> the interesting music soundtrack of fantasy films from the 80s. Oh. Very few of them actually had interesting soundtracks, but Ladyhawk does. Yeah, so we watched, we watched uh, Salute of the Jugger mm. and it was, it was good for a bunch of teenage boys. I think it would have been 15-ish. Yeah, I reckon 16-ish. that violence would have caught, caught you back in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, and, and the thing is with a whole bunch of us watching, we weren't... Yeah. We weren't really up for a complex plot. Like if this was uh, like Blade Runner, like I remember the first time I watched Blade Runner, I kind of didn't get it. it was yeah. I think I was too young. Mm. Uh, but this this was suitable. Mm. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. And what, so watching it this time, of course, uh, it was nostalgic because it's in that old standard definition format, mm. uh, like video format. <laughs> it had been cleaned up a little bit, but it was still, you know, a, a fairly sort of Crude, authentic really. experience. <laughs> Uh, it was, so it was, all those kids out there watching Stranger Things, this is how you do it. You go back, you get a VHS. Oh, gee, oh my goodness me! A, bit, <laughs> a little while ago, I had I was going through a bunch of stuff to chuck out, and I found my VHS collection, mm. and I still had a a video player at the time. Yeah, this yeah. is this is years ago now. Yeah. But uh, I thought, oh, here's Galaxy Quest. I'm like, Galaxy Quest is quite quite yeah. good. We should do that we sometime. We need to do that. Yes. Pop that in, and like a few minutes came in, and the video quality. I was looking at going. I can't believe we used to watch this. Yeah. Because that was quite a good video. You know, it was like a quite a good video yeah, quality, yeah. that one. But I was just, no, I immediately chucked them all. I think I sold them all. Some Someone who was collecting Retro. videos or something, um, <laughs> yeah, paid me like $52,000 for them. No, they, I don't know, $52 maybe. Now. The kids now are into it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's so anyway, so that was, that was my experience. Rewatching it this time, it, it was nostalgic. It, it had that feeling I was expecting to be. You know, drinking Diet Coke oh, <laughs> and, you know, talking to my teenage buddies. Uh, do you have a, any, like, a favourite scene? There's a couple of really good scenes, I reckon, narrative-wise. I liked the idea that Kiddo and Vincent DeFario's character, which is young Gar, I like that, so they win around. Oh, they win a game, oh, yes. and then the sort of the men are going off with, I guess, the local girls, you know, the prostitutes, whatever, make it whatever, and um, the big Simba, who is a female, but she's one of the juggers. She sort of goes up and takes two of the young boys, and there's one boy left, but he's like really a boy. Yeah, you know, he's, he's a bit little. He's a little bit young for kiddo, and anyway, and then so kiddo kind of looks over at Vincent and kind of eyeballs him and yeah then we see them in the tent and they're kind of like they're going for it they're trying to you know they're trying to they're trying to have sex and at first i was like well it's just kind of whatever post-apocalyptic sex but then good old rukta comes in and sort of stands over them and watches them for a moment or two and it's a bit awkward and kind of you know grins away and and they're sort of rolling around and grunting and groaning and uh, and then he and then he they're not they, happy grunts they're, they're not they're happy pained no. grunts. pained grunts this is the thing and and that's the whole point is that then they kind of notice him there and they stop and he and he says something along the lines of there's two juggers 
post game cannot have sex. Yeah, basically because of, it, it's it's wounds and gnashes on each other, yeah. something like that, and it's quite quite kind of revolting, but also makes you go. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. They they can't, can they? They're, they're too sort they're of both beaten sort of up. beaten up, and yeah, and that's what you realise is was happening is when when they were sort of trying trying to, trying to be passionate, yeah. they just kept sort of they go in for a hug and they would stop and pull back and uh, yeah. uh, it was uh, <laughs> so it was a very I thought that was just a really clever tweak of it and the reality of it. I mean, like sports stars, like you can even take you know here in Australia AFL stars, and you know it's all beaten up oh they've won the game and great and when you really look at some of the behind the scenes of post-game stuff i mean you know they they they, players go home and they they eat you know 14 kilograms of pasta just to catch back up in an ice bath bath. like they're not going out partying and having sex with all sorts of girls and guys and whatever their preferences are they're just literally recovering <laughs> it's, it's you know, the like, following night like it's yeah that's my maybe the following night you know so mm. it's a funny thing like this interpretation that i think perception that people have so i liked that scene there was kind of a i thought that was just a nice nice deeper sort of level of the the sport of the game and maybe and just sort of saying how brutal it was why is this film a sci-fi? Sorry. Well, you could look at the obvious point that it's post-apocalyptic, but that that sets that's just a way of setting a world up because this is not a world that would work. It's, it's not a story that would entirely work in the present day. It almost would. Mm. It, it might work in the past as well, mm. but it takes us into this imagined. You know, what if? You know, what would sports be like in a brutal world, like a Mad mm. Max world? Yeah. Like they had Thunderdome, I guess, in Mad Max Three or whatever it was. Mm. But yeah, what sort of sports would you have? And what's sort of, how would the league work? It was almost yeah. ancient Roman, but it wasn't quite. Yes, uh, because you yeah in the ancient Roman there you didn't sort of have uh, the gladiators were not hundred percent free. Mm. Uh, even the freemen who signed up to it signed contracts to oh, do X number of games and so yeah, forth. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Ridley Scott's documentary about it. Yes, yeah. his documentary on it. <laughs> but, well, so you've sort of got this combination now, I think, where you've got, say, modern-day UFC or boxing where people mm. go, hey, yeah, let's do this. Yep. But then combine that a bit with that gladiatorial you know, aspect of it where it's not really controlled. People do get maimed and killed mm. and... It's it's sort of a, a brutal hard life, but if you succeed at it, you do well. Yeah. And we we get given this story, which explores you know the the opportunities that might exist even in a post apocalypse. Uh-huh. And you know you're not looking at, for example, Rocky, which is a similar sort of fighting story mm. about yeah. a sport. But see, Rocky, if he didn't make it boxing, well, he wasn't going to be dead. And secondly. He had a job and things. It was his dream to be a boxer, but yeah. it wasn't a requirement to do much else. He, he could still, like, you know, work yeah. in a meat plant and he still had Adrian they'd get married to and, you know, he saw yeah, his friends yeah. and stuff. Whereas in in the post-apocalypse, you, you don't have these sort of fallbacks. Like what what was Kidder doing was working, cutting cane, probably It'll, subsistence. And there's that great scene, I think, at the start with her mum, isn't it? And, you know, like she's all beaten up from that first game mm. and she'd lost and, you know, it's it's almost like all is lost and her mum's saying, why, why are you doing this to yourself? And she has that fantasy of going to the big league, doesn't mm. she? Like making it to the big 
game. And I, I do think that that's part of why I said hope, but sorry, as well. Like, it's kind of in sport, there's a bit of hope to kind of maybe break that cycle mm. or get out of where you are. And you can see that, I don't know, they're like chopping a cane field down or corn at the start of this film. And it, and it looks like pretty broken down corn. <laughs> it's it was very great. Lush, lush corn. And, and even when they pay the juggers, it's like they're paying them in screws and bolts and nuts yeah. and like you don't really know what value they're getting out of it, do you? No, but it, but the science fiction part of this really is that it's we've by entering this science fiction world, this this future world mm. of devastation, we've stripped away all these other ways out. Yeah. Like, because if you were to take, uh, uh, here's a young man named Surrey who's working hard on a podcast and putting together a film festival each year and he's mm. writing books in the meantime, uh, you know, will he succeed or will he just have to fall back on his, you know, successful IT career that is doing quite well? Thank so you much very much. Stakes, like, it? like yeah. yeah, it's just, but if this was after the apocalypse... I would have to substitute the podcast, podcast. It would save the day. The podcast would be a little bit, yeah. Well, it, it could be maybe. Could be maybe the voice of the desert is the yeah. you know the important the way star. Mm. But suddenly there are no other options. Like yeah. to get anywhere in society, the only option any of these people in these towns have is to become a jugger. Yeah, they can't go to the big city and somehow get the attention of a patron. Any other way, mm. like the, the, I didn't see art or artists. Mm. I didn't, yeah, you know, I didn't really see much. Like the uh, the nobles were looking at old art, and that's probably the art they appreciate. Yeah, you because know, it's that's super rare. You you think a you know a, a Da Vinci portrait is you know, rare and expensive now? You you wait till after <laughs> the nuclear holocaust. <laughs> Then you'll know all about how expensive a uh, Dali uh, painting is. Yeah, imagine what a Banksy would be after the apocalypse. Yeah, trying to find an intact <laughs> wall with it on there, you know, whatever. So, yeah, so that's why I think of science fiction because it's – it, and, and we see this in a number of science fiction films where they use the science fiction element to strip away objections or, or ways out or, um, you know, to create an environment that allows us to examine – closely one aspect of humanity or technology or something was there any science in this film that you thought was particularly good or an element of the environment or world that was exciting well i think see you've explained it well then why this film is a sci-fi and i think for me i'm always interested in a post-apocalyptic okay like that's something like i like the zombie stuff i really do like that Mad Max in particular, like we will come to Mad Max at some point, obviously. So anything where you take, I, I like these broken societies, I guess, more than, I probably prefer that more than the Apple Store future. Yeah. You know, even though the Apple Store future, so it's kind of, that's the thing, isn't it? It's kind of, you either have, quite often in sci-fi, you either have that world perfect Apple Store future, everything's white and glossy. Or you have the post-apocalyptic, like we're in the Australian desert. This was Cooperpedia again. Oh, wasn't absolutely! It? <laughs> How many films have been shot there that oh, we've I, actually even watched? We're going to have to count this. I think. I, I jumped onto uh, Wikipedia and had a look at South Australian films. Yeah, but because uh, our mother sci-fi. was filmed in South Australia, just in, yeah. in inside. A yeah, yeah, yes. But no, but yeah, well, we 
looked at another one not the, that long ago. The Osiris Child. Yeah, that's right. Cougar that was Petey. shot there. Yes, that was a really modern one. Um, and I know of other films in Cooper uh, Pitch Pitty, Black we've done, which Pitch is Black. also Cooper yeah, There we go. Yeah. So, so if you're a fan of Cooper Pedy, get in touch because we're talking about it again on this episode. But yeah, that, that uh, I think that post-apocalyptic, broken down society, what does the world look like? Um, and again, as I said, that, that's why I like the zombie stuff of like, you don't have society ticking along as you did. You break away the rules. And in this film, it's like the rules have all broken down. How do the working class survive? They've, this sport is one way, as you said, it's the only way out. You know, but so in terms of the science, for me, it's just that I really do then think, okay, yeah, we, we've gone back to the nomadic society a little bit, the real broken down. What would people do? How do people survive? You know, and that's why you see things like prostitution, probably more rife and the young boy. Yeah, you can come have sex with the young boy to the jugger, that one. Yeah, because you've got yeah. to make some money. Like, well, you've got to he, do something. Like, he, might, he might get a few ball bearings or something. I don't know. He might get a cut and that feeds his family. You know, the suggestion of that boy is like, oh, she says, oh, it looks like he hasn't eaten in six months. And it's like, well, yeah, he probably hasn't because we're seeing how these people are living. And mm. like we, we said, the there's lots of roasted dog. I think in that town when they walked through the markets, there was um, frogs and those real Australian, those goannas. Yeah, well, they had, they had and the crabs. You see the, the Balmain the, bugs? Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. That's actually a real delicacy. Yeah, they're, they're good. That's <laughs> they're expensive. expensive. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the uh, Goanna, you for, know. The, for non-Australians, what we're talking about is there's a scene where they walk past after being at the ocean and there's there's crabs hanging up, but there's also these other sort of strange flat-looking shellfish. Yeah. Insecty looking things. They're actually, yeah, bugs. Bugs, yeah. You get here in Australia. They're kind of, a kind of crayfish. Yeah. Lobstery type of thing being a, being found in, in Australian waters, they're the size of you know three man's hands. They're huge, you know. Oh, they'll lop a leg off, <laughs> and they're deadly poisonous. Don't but, go anywhere near but them. But the, we well, eat it's, them. <laughs> the good thing is that when you see them around, you know there's no crocodiles. Yeah, that's because right. they've killed all the crocodiles. <laughs> that's right. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of those kind of animals and that real hustle and bustle of a marketplace. And yeah, I, I just like, I personally, I like that. I like seeing mm. that world and how would we survive? You know, you go to those zombie films and they, lots of them explore, you know, how does humanity come back and, and work in a zombie environment? It's the same here. We don't actually know 100% what happened, why the world is in this desert landscape kind of thing. Uh, and People are just surviving and so to survive they've come up with this brutal sport. But then you see society, the class division, it's like they accelerate this harsh league. The league is the top of the land that no one can really challenge, right? Mm. And so the poor are just kind of really kept poor and it's like a lottery system almost that you might get into the league one day. The funny thing is, of course, it's one of those things that they could actually just eat the rich. Yeah, they could. But... They've been told that you can do that kind of through this sport. Yeah, that's Which right. the rich like watching. Yes. And you're like, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's a way of always keeping the point, which to me the writer, David, uh, you know, I think that's that thematic style of the film. It's talking about the class structure, you know, the rich keeping the working class down, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, right now in the world and, you know, Muskie is one of them. Super wealthy people, you know, more wealth in one person's fingertips than the rest of the world. 
and the rest of us kind of uh, yeah, working away to try to get a little piece of the pie, aren't we? Yeah, and one, maybe one day uh, he'll come and buy our podcast. <laughs> so if you're out there, he'll probably just buy Apple Podcasts. Yeah, he'll, just, so he'll just buy the whole freaking thing in one go. He'll buy, he'll buy the trademark for podcasts in general, <laughs> you know, why not? And stop us. That's yeah. it. We'll have to go across to some space brain. Dog skull related sport. Do, dog skull radio. <laughs> there we go. Coming next episode, dog skull radio. Speak- Hi, welcome to dog skull radio. <laughs> Speaking of uh, space brains expanding into other realms, we have got the second year of the space brain science fiction film festival. It's all been announced. So if you haven't heard or you haven't seen on social media, get cracking, go out there and make a film that might be a post-apocalyptic film because you now know that I like them. Go and go <laughs> check out our YouTube. We've got a little um, stinger trailer of what happened in the last year. Oh, stinger. And you can sort of see there's some lovely trophies. Yeah. We had um, lots of fun there with people and talking and learning. There was learning. people there, we promise. Yeah, there was pe- people there. We had authors you yeah. know, talking about terraforming Mars and talking about short stories and then filmmaker. we also had filmmaker there. Um, we talked about podcasting. Who you've had a little listen to already. Uh, yeah, so this coming up year, we're going to try to craft a an experience mm. that is worthy. That's right. It'll be a little bit different. But if you're a filmmaker or a writer, now's your time. You can get in early bird. The price is cheaper to submit your film on Film Freeway. We've already got our first submissions. Yeah, we've already had a couple, which is awesome. A return filmmaker from last year, which is shows that he really enjoyed the first year. And yes. he's come back for more. Um, so we look forward to watching your films. But, yeah, if you're interested, go to our website, spacebrains.com.au, Check out all the information and you can submit your film on Film Freeway. There's also more information along there. So just go looking for Space Brains. And an important addition to this coming up year's version, we have music videos. Yeah. So we want to see your science fiction themed story style thematic videos. Yeah, if you're into that, go Because we, we end up getting several of them in last time and we thought, oh, that's Shame we don't have something specifically for that because yes. there's there's different criteria to to judging such a thing. So we'll need a little special statue of a space brain playing like a guitar or a piano somehow for the for the trophy there. Yes, <laughs> there we go. So anyway, there we go. That's the film festival. Yeah, and let's get into. The plot overview. Let's talk about this film. Let's talk about some of the plot features, some of the any symbolism, some of the narrative features, the camera, mm. lighting, sound, editing, any sure. social commentary messages other than what we've already spoken about, yeah. of course. How but about you give us a bit of a rundown of what this film is about? So, yeah, the um, as we mentioned, David Webb Peoples, writer, director of a lot of sci-fi. So go check out his biography and he's he's still making stuff today. As I said, the 12 Monkeys TV show is around at the moment. He's still working on that. So he was the writer and director of this film. We mentioned a shot in Oz and I think there's probably a connection to Mad Max somewhere there, the era of this film. They were probably... 89, Mad Max, Thunderdome? I mean, Mad Max started in the 70s. 78 or so. Um, so I'm not sure what Thunderdome was, but I Thunder reckon Dome, it was probably was done by 89. So. Eight, eight, 86? Yeah. I mean, I could turn around and just 
plug Google. in the computer, but we'll, we'll find out when yeah. we do that episode. And we mentioned Rook De Hale. Uh, he plays the character Solo, uh, sort of the lead in a way, with jo- Joan Chen as Kiddo. Uh, Vincent DeFario. Now, look, if you haven't seen Vincent DeFario, where are you living? This he's guy, a yeah, full metal a... jacket, uh, <laughs> Lauren Orders. I know, and he's an awesome actor. He's a poet as well. I heard a bit of his poetry a couple of years ago. 13th Floor, which yeah. is another sci-fi that we should watch. Yeah, add it to the list. Um, Joan Chen as Kiddo, um, Delroy Lindo as Mabalu. Mabalu? Mabalu. Oh, is he was in something I watched just he's been fairly in recently. He's, in, he's been in a lot of stuff. Like, yeah, he's, you know this guy's face. Like, he's all over the place. Um, and Anna Katrina. Oh, he was in The Core. I watched The him. Core, that's it. I watched yes. it with my kids the other week. Yeah, he is in that. Isn't that was he? a fun movie. <laughs> um, I don't actually know the budget of this. Couldn't clearly see it. Um, so if you do know that, hit us up. David, web peoples. I was filming in South Australia. They probably got it for like 20 bucks. Yeah. Back in those days. Um, and its box office return was under a mil, $882,000. So I'm not, yeah, I'd, I'd, li- I'd like to know what the budget was. Um, back then, you know, in Australia, inflation, what we're going through now, cost of living. Yeah. You could buy a film for under a million dollars quite easily in yes. Cuba Beach. <laughs> um, so we do like to break our narrative down with some common elements that you can find from all good story and script writing teachers. People like Campbell, Schneider, McFee, Field are some of them. Go Google all of them and you'll learn how to write a script or a story. Basically, the premise here is that we work off a three-act structure and that three-act um, structure is then broken down into very specific moments in film. We can call that scenes or beats. What happens in Act 1? Act 1 is, of course, the beginning. So that's the introduction. We see the world. Hi. We Hello. find the characters. <laughs> we get a bit of a theme set up so we, we feel like we know what's going on. And most importantly, towards the sort of mid towards the end there, we get this catalyst, an inciting incident. Ooh. This is Shake the bones. This is that moment where you sort of go, oh, this is the direction the film's going in. Mm. It's a question that is you're hoping to see answered in Act yeah. 2. Uh, it's it's the way you can see the world is going to change. So you've mm-hmm. been shown what the world's like and now you're going to say, oh, it's changing. Yeah. This sounds like a good story. And there's a bit of a debate there. It's about, uh, yeah, the main character or all the characters tend to wonder if this change is something that's good. Should we follow it? Do we have to follow it? Maybe Maybe they don't seem to have much choice, but they try to resist it in some way. Eventually, eventually they choose to you know have a story so we can watch something, which yeah. is nice. And they do a break into two. Sometimes that's actually really quite obvious. I've, I saw a couple of films where there was a almost like uh, like the character got knocked out, and then they wake up in they act wake, two. Yeah, that's right. They wake up. Uh, I mean, Wizard of Oz is probably a perfect example of that, where yeah. she wakes up literally in act two in the middle of yeah. fun and games. Or Alice, Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. Down the rabbit hole. So it sounds <laughs> about it act two. it was pretty clear in this film as well. So if you're out there listening to us and you've obviously watched it, can you spot act two? Because it was, I think it was very clear in this one. So act two, we do, this is the fun and games. This is what I know Schneider likes to say. It's really, you should be seeing the trailer here. And he calls that the fun and games. But mm. yeah, ultimately, hey, look, we've paid our... 10 bucks, 20 bucks, or you're watching an old VHS copy from Surrey's collection from 1983. For $23,000. For 23. 
thousand dollars, um, and you you're trying to decipher how the hell did I spend so much money on such a poor quality thing? But anyway, you're doing it. You're committed, and so you're sitting there and you want some fun, you want some games, you want some excitement, you know, or you want horror, you want terror, you want romance, whatever it is. Why did you sit down to watch this movie? You stuck with the first twenty to thirty minutes. Now we're into the actual plot points of. The setup, what Sari said, that catalyst, the question. So now the character is exploring that and having some fun with it. Um, And, you know, as I said, even in the most dramatic film, it's all about the drama. In the most horror film, it's all about the terror and the horror. Um, In sci-fi, you know, we should see the post-apocalyptic world. I can't say that word right now. (laughs) Um, And anyway, as the character has all this playtime, they are learning about their Catalyst. They're trying to figure out an answer. They're trying to solve it. And they end up having a go and they get a bit of a midpoint. And it's pretty much the middle of the film. And that midpoint is either a, a bit of a positive or a negative for them. And, you know, what it does is they sort of feel like, hey, yeah, I'm a bit triumphant. And here it's like, no, you know what? You've had a go at all the fun and games. You've explored some different territory. Now things are getting serious. And so for the rest of Act 2, it's more about the world closing in, their adventure, their journey coming towards some sort of head. Things start to maybe go wrong. Uh, They might lose the path, so to speak. If they were climbing the mountain, it now snows in and they can't see even which way is up or down anymore, right? And they don't want to go to Moria. And they don't want to go, yeah, that's right. They don't want to go. Or, you know, they're given a quick all-access pass to Elon Musk's office and they could just go in and all his money is just, just sitting there on the desk, right? And so you don't have to do all the work. You could just... Take some money. Yeah, so that, they're sort of given that won't something lead made. to a dark night no, of the soul, will it? <laughs> no, not at all. And so that's what happens. Like they sort of, you know, it's it, things aren't going so well, and and things go a bit pear shaped. That's what I'm trying to get at there. And that does lead us to that moment of the dark night of the soul, and the moment that oh, everything's kind of gone to crap. And why did I go on this quest to begin with? Why did things go pear shaped all the way back at the catalyst? Why did I decide? And this was really obvious in this for kiddo. Mm. Um, so we'll come back to that in a moment. And then that kind of, they have to go oh, get the grit, don't they? The grit their teeth and do they go on? And if they do, then you get a third act. And what happens in that? Sorry. Well, assume you get a third act, which thankfully we do <laughs> almost always. <laughs> it might be there, but it also might be piss week. And so, you know. It, it could be, yes. But, but we're the, looking at these in, in the good third ways. act. It is the finale. <laughs> it the, is. the hero gathers his resources or her friends and allies and enacts a bit of a plan and mm. it starts going well. But then it, it has a little bit of a snag or a hiccup, <sighs> which requires people to turn about and, you know, demonstrate their growth. They're learning, their knowledge, mm. what mm. what the whole point of the first part of the movie was all about. Mm. They've got use to show the that. Force. They, they've got to use the force, Luke. Yeah. I mean, that is that is an obvious. That's an ultimate. That's that's it. That's one where you just look at that and go, ah, oh, that's what uh, the space rants are talking yeah. about. That that <laughs> scene, use the force, Luke. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that leads to then the, the true finale mm. where a resolution occurs. And so most of the time we, we like a happy ending, but it's not entirely necessary. Sometimes it can be a bit bleak. I think we did uh, The Shape of Water. Yeah. It was kind of a bittersweet ending. It was yeah. like a bit, 
it wasn't like do 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 do. It was sort of a little bit darker, but yeah, yeah. it was satisfying. And then the final image lets us know what the world is all about. Yeah. Some films foreshorten the final image. They do purposefully. I would assume. I mean, why wouldn't you? Why would you? Unless you did it on purpose. Roll credits. In order Oops. to roll them too early. Introduce uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, we did the lobster way back, episode two. Oh, that's such a good film. Episode two, there <laughs> where we're sort of left wondering if this guy gouges his eyes out or not, and and like it cuts before we get an answer, and so that's an example there, I think. Yeah, and I mean, you can have an ambiguity-styled ending and that's the point. Yes. A filmmaker or writer, whatever, wants you to kind of go, oh, yeah, okay. Inception, the final image. Yeah. Makes you, you know, a film that just just deliberately designed to make you question. I mean, we had Ben Young last week, last episode, tell us, you know, he, he would like... The P, he would like friends to leave his movie and basically have an argument, have a discussion about his film. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, is that what a filmmaker is going after? Well, then you might want to have an open-ended film at the end. Indeed. So let's talk a bit about this film and how it fits into all of this. Here come the joggers. Here come the joggers. Here, Here come the joggers. I think it's more, Here come the joggers. <laughs> Here come the joggers, mate. joggers. Mate, some joggers coming. Ah. <laughs> I don't know. It's like there's a sort of tribal music going in the background. Starts off with a bit of gold text on black as well, which just tells us basically Juggers is... No one knows where the game started or why, uh, but they play it. They play it. And And around the corner comes Rukta. Yeah, we get the the opening. And what I liked about this opening is it looked like, uh, you know, pyramids. Mm. You know, they had the piles. But, of course, if you go to... um, yeah, Cooper Pedy. Cooper that's, Pedy. that's just the main street <laughs> looks like that. You know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's broken down cars. and no, But they come around, but it, it sort of looks, uh, I thought it looked like pyramids, yeah. like these piles up and they're sort of marching almost in procession like it's a, a ceremonial thing. Mm, yeah. And sure enough, as you said, they come to this town and, and the kids start saying, here come the juggers, here come the juggers. Yeah. And what a great way. We automatically now know so many things about how this world works. Yes. And these, because we know from the little text, juggers are sports people, athletes of some description, but clearly they are nomadic. And when you enter a town, it's it's like a special event has occurred. Yeah, I mean, it's a very barren world. Um, As that boy says, here come come the juggers, mate. There seems to be a response from the crowd of, you know, we want to we want to get in there and we want to, you know, like they all get a bit of hustle and bustle to them, mm. don't they? And they, You know, the, a crowd forms. The juggers themselves don't seem to really care too much either. They're kind of very confident. They're kind of, you know, we're coming here. They're, they're challengers, aren't they? And they're just yeah. coming into this town. Um, and we meet Kiddo pretty quickly that she's working with her father, uh, you, you would sort of presume, you know, sort of looks like it, and they, they're cutting down this bleak, depressing-looking corn or I, cane. I, I thought it looked a bit like sugar cane. Sugar cane, yeah. It didn't Which look in good shape. they don't do a lot of farming of that in South Australia. No, but it's not South Australia. Oh, sorry. sorry it's the, the future. The future. Well, maybe they should be growing something more suited to this environment <laughs> there. No, but, 
This is the, and this is the thing, as you said, we don't know when the game started. We don't even know when, really, when this is, do we? Like, we don't. No, it's it's not. It no, doesn't I mean, this setting. could be hundreds of years after, like a, you know, the Russians invade the US with nuclear bombs. Or, after Red Dawn, right? well, yeah, in eighty nine, right. it was a it was genuine, a genuine concern. thing. Yeah, the crowd, the crowd, you know, gathers round. This we have this tough looking, war wounded, grubby, muscular group of. Guys and girls, and they kind of start rapping. Oh no, they drop the dog heads, don't it's, they? That's yeah, it's right. like the they're. Um, it, it sort of look because there's no real dialogue here. It looks like no. they're negotiating something, like they're sort of going. Mm. Uh, and, here we go. And Lots the of village, the village accepts. Yeah, and and then they start, and out from the village comes some more, you know, like tough looking, wounded looking, wounded, weird, hardcore guys, yeah. and they'll start putting on armor made out yeah. of. Strips of rubber and old tires and stuff, yeah. and this is great because it's kind of like a montage of quick cuts, close-ups, you know, strapping on stuff. As sorry, just mentioned, weird-shaped cutouts of you know recycled bits of timber and metal, and they seem to be really wrapping themselves up to protect certain organs, but not others. I always find that interesting. I love, I love um, that little. Um, the bit to hold his nose on. Yeah. <laughs> it's a special <laughs> yeah. nose Just, strap to hold his nose it's in. It's kind of like a jock strap but over his nose. It makes me feel as if he's had a previous incident where yeah. someone has grabbed his nose yeah. and probably – and indeed I think that's Dog Boy at the start. It is, isn't And it? he's yeah. got a fairly munted nose. He does. So I, I have a feeling that he learnt the hard way that you should protect <laughs> your nose. It is. And, and it's shown through those jump cuts and nice close-ups but also it's very tribal music. And there's no dialogue. It's just literally shots as they prep for this game, really. Mm. You know? And uh, you're kind of getting the feeling that there's not really rules. There's not going to be any real solid rules. Well, there's, there's no ref. No. <laughs> so it's, it, it's sort of setting itself up that, you know, it is going to be a pretty brutal. And they also have some weapons, don't they? They have a chain. Vincent has a big metal chain thing. Yeah, they're, and they're pulling these things out and they've got uh, yeah, the... A couple of the guys have got the sort of staff things with hooks on it, but they're yeah. padded. Yeah. So that's it. And that was an interesting point as well. They're putting all this armor stuff, but their their weapons are kind of padded a bit. Yes. Except for the chain. That seems yeah, the a bit chain brutal. Is just brutal. I guess well, it works, doesn't it? You're meant yeah. to keep away from it. Yes. Yeah. And so the girl Kidder, she comes running out despite her the disapproving look from her father. Mm. And she comes around. She's totally keen to watch this. She's pushes to the front, and the sport. Begins. Yeah, and it's a brutal game. Uh, we learn that there's kind of two guys in the middle, the quicks, and they have to kind of be the first one to grab the dog, the dog skull, and then get it onto the pointy stick. Mm. <laughs> get the skull onto the pointy stick. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes. Anyone can understand that, right? Like you, within a minute, you get the game, you get the rules of the game. Meanwhile, everyone else is just kind of beating the crap out of each other. It's a bit like Quidditch. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay, you've got yeah. the, the Seekers. Yeah, no one's allowed to get the Seekers, but they can sort of get buffeted about. But anyway, yes. that aside, I don't know if J.K. Rowling watched Salute of the Jugger and took inspiration from that or not. Well, she took a lot of inspiration from a lot of different places, so she, she might have. She should get in touch with us um, and let us know. Yeah. The, so what do you think then was the catalyst? So the catalyst then, a lot of the game there was leading up to just – uh, introduction and showing us this sport yep. so we understand it and some of the characters as well. Yep. I think the inciting incident really was when 
uh, and I, I won't read verbatim the rude words I wrote there, but when Kidder wrecks the guy's, the dog boy's leg. Mm. And the reason for it, it could have just been a bit of a tackle and a tussle and knocked him down, yeah. but the f- director clearly showed Kidder like twisting. Yeah. Like she took particular effort to ruin his leg. Yes. And that's where you start going. So that's the beginning of this and inside said that incident. before, didn't she? Said, I'm going to, because he, he said something about her tits. Yeah, I'm going to rip your tits <laughs> off. <laughs> your tits off. And then, and then she goes, I'm going to break your leg. Yeah. And so then when she is breaking his leg, it's kind of like, well, yeah, she did say that. Yeah, she did she say that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, she gets hammered. But yeah. that's an important part of the catalyst as well, yeah. is because uh, we're talking about debate. So she has said that she, you can tell, um, when did she say it? She she really wants to watch it and she wants she wants to be in it because mm. as soon as the opportunity comes up for her to be the quick, she she, she, she jumps in yeah, there. Yeah. Like, uh, and then she messes this guy's leg up and then you sort of go, oh, okay, she's going to join their team. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's the, so, so I completely agree. Like she, basically she enters the game, she's tough and quick. And she gets she she breaks his leg and kind of gets it, but then she's beaten to a pulp. Yes, yes. Yeah, because that's what they do. Salo just hammers yeah, her a few hammers times. Her and so then the debate after that is like, as I said earlier, it's the scene. Then she's been wiped up by her mother. You know, yeah. and this is the debate because she's going, but I want to I want to get to the big league. You know, mm. and um, her mother's like, but look at the you know look at the look at the price you're paying. Yeah. You know, is it worth it? You could just stay here and live a humble life with the decaying sugar canes. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with the life we've got here? And you do, you see the mum and dad, you see them, they hop in that tiny little bed together. Yeah. And that this is the whole point of this opening scene. It's like it's so depressing, really, their little existence. And Kidda doesn't want that. She wants something more, you know, yes. and so she's looking for a way out. So at first it was like, if we beat these juggers, we could be the team of challengers. But they don't. They lose, and then it's like, well, I now can I could join you. Your quick is gone. I can be your quick. Yeah, and it, it was nice that when the uh, yeah, the juggers walk off and she's following them. Yeah, they do stick behind their they quick. They stick behind their and dog boy. Go, no, yeah. no, he he can keep going. And but yeah. then in that in the morning, he just looks up there and says, "I can't actually walk anymore." Yeah, but but that he they do say, "Oh, we could stretch it." As yeah. well, like he'll heal. He'll take a few days. Yeah, so but they're he'll very heal. loyal. So they're uh, extremely people. loyal. And it's, she, she's like, no, you know, take me. Look at me. I'm a fit one. I broke his leg. I'm, I'm, I'm good. But they're like, no, we'll do it. But he's the one that says no. You know, yeah, like, no. leave me here. I'm not being stretched. And again, that shows you this, this bleak. And world. that's, and that's what they, you know, um, we'll call, Snyder would call saving the cat. I think yeah. that immediately tells us basically this team. They're, yeah, they're rough and brutal, but, you know, they're friends, they're colleagues, they're comrades, mm. they're loyal to one another. Yeah. And even though they all knew that their quick had done his leg, that was probably the end of him, um, at least for the next couple of years, you know. So Kira is then, they bring her in, but they challenge her, don't they, straight away? Yeah, we have a, to show her the chops. training montage. Yeah. So she has to show her chops. And to me, this is... Just before, because they're like, this, oh, is, well, you... this is almost part of the debate, isn't it? Now, yeah. this is the team debate. This is the team going, Well, are you good enough to be our quick? Mm. You know, like, because you, uh, if you're not good enough, we're just going to lose, yeah. you know. And so they challenge her, and she shows a bit of might. And Sallow then actually gives her, Oh, she needs a bit of protection. So he does the protection thing, 
with the big chain mm. <laughs> and um, shows that she can kind of get through, doesn't it? Yeah, and she can keep up. She can keep up. And so you, she's accepted. And to me, that is break into two. Yeah, that's... Like it's a real obvious yeah, one. Yeah, so the choosing, choosing act two is the trying out for the quick. Yeah. And then... And, and it is interesting that the some films have very clear-cut points yeah, and yeah. I think... When they they finish the training and they're walking to the new town as the formed team, yep, that's surely Act Two. That's yeah, that like, is Act Two. Yeah, because we're talking fun and games. This movie is, literally has games. Yeah, you know, like, it's about this game. Yeah. But if you and, and if, but if you take kiddos, she's she's tried out, lost, followed them. They said you can't be part of us. The quick has then gone. I can't go on. But they haven't just gone. Oh yeah, well come on in. They've gone. No, you got to try out. Yeah, try out. And, you know, Salo goes, oh, yeah, well, actually, she's all right. You're in the team. Yeah. Act two. Bang. Yeah. Like it's, two. A, it's a perfect act and, two. And now we're expecting. Because if, if she didn't pass that training module, yeah. go back to your mum and dad. End yep. of story. You well, did your quest lost. You lost your quest. And we would, we'd go to the next town where they yeah. get a new quick. They get a new quick. They get Which a better one, right? is actually where the story would start yeah. instead of this one. <laughs> but this is a short, sharp story. It's great. It's moved on yeah, to Act 2 already. So it moves into Act 2 and we said there's the fun in games. Yeah. Literally is games here. And you can well imagine the movie trailer for you know, Salute of the Jugger here would have a lot of this because there's um, just sort of, I think there's about three we three see so in fair yeah. fullness. Yeah, but there's also uh, implied that there's a number of others that they've done. Like yeah, they, yeah. they, you know, moving on up as yes. it were. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's a sporting montage in a way, which we get in other sports sort of style films. You know, they're playing other teams, they're playing different characters. We see different wounded, strong, you know, weapons and people and soldiers and sports people like we see a variety of them don't we and, and, and a couple and of different, different towns, towns and, and and stuff and this is where we learn as we go along about yeah we learn that Salo used to be in the league yep uh, and that he had to leave because he was getting a little bit involved with one of the noble women mm. whose partner didn't kind of like that and this is and this is why I had my my takeaway as being this sort of you know, sport is a Presented as a way out, but it's actually kind of a way of keeping him down. Yeah, because though you know Rutger was famous, he was in the league. Yep, uh, and he'd even attracted you know the amorous attentions of one of the nobles. Mm. He just he clearly was not one of them. No, he was not accepted no. at all. No, and uh, in fact was essentially banished, mm. um, fearing for his life. I assume. Yeah, yeah, not allowed back. And and that's where Gandhi does tell Kiddo that you know you. You're accepted in when you play in the league as to be like them, dress like them, even live like them, but you're not them. No. And there's, so there's that clear distinction. So with Salo, he was kicked out because he fell in love, which the rest of us would go, oh, well, what's wrong with that? You know, he fell in love. He, he was a good sportsman. Yeah. But they didn't, They, you know, the upper class didn't no, like that. Was... And so... Well, could you imagine banished. if the league, not only could you get up to this certain level... Where they're still controllable, but if they could actually exceed that, and you know, run the league, and now that yeah, like they're getting a little bit ahead of themselves now, and what will the nobles do then? You know, That's right. What would what would you their would, job be? They wouldn't have anything to offer the masses if the masses right. had control of their own yeah. game. You have to control the game. It's a symbol. So we do learn a bit more about the game, and and here we get Sallow loses his eyeball. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is 
uh, after we yeah after oh, we've had that scene that you're talking about with yeah, us. The they, sex they, scene, they, the... yeah two juggers can't have sex after a battle because yeah. it just hurts yes, <laughs> fair yeah. enough and yeah he loses his eyeball yep. and sews it shut and now we 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 can see there's this is the first inklings that we've got some problems coming up but it's also the catalyst to make them go to the league it's just like well We've got to go. Um, Kitta says, I, I really want to go. I, I want to do this. Yeah, she's been saying she wants to go the whole time. And Salo, I think, having lost an eyeball, he's going, well, I've got nothing more. Like, I either do this and get killed in the league, succeed at the league, or I'm finished anyway. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm what, just going to be scraping. Because I think he always had uh, a, a dream also to re- retake his place. Yeah, yeah. He was just yeah. a bit low-key about it. But when he lost his eye, he was like, okay, well... Probably Kidder, got one chance. Kid is really keen to go ahead, so I can ride that enthusiasm. Mm. Because if he if he turned back and followed what you know Kimber and Mabulu said, you know, let's just stay in the dog towns. Yeah, like that's it. His his legend finishes. Yep, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because earlier there's also a guy with one eye that they they beat mm. quite easily, and I suppose that's the idea here. Is he's lost an eye. It's all going to start going downhill from here. Yeah. So, in his for him, you know, it's an interesting evolution of his character because it's like, well, if I keep, I could just keep fighting the dog towns and lose another eyeball anyway. Yeah. Or I could give the league one more crack yeah. and kind of get my revenge. And so, yeah, he's keen to do it. So, to me, that's the midpoint, right? Yes. I mean, that. That would have like to that, be because like him deciding. Yep, let's go to the nine cities because we're we're changing directory directory yeah. direction, mm. and things have become as as often is the case that things become more serious. The more fun serious, and games yeah. are over. Yeah, uh, eyeball has been lost. We're going more to the big serious. league where consequences are greater. Yeah, and they they have a bit of a disagreement for a moment that they're going to separate. Solo's going to go. Kiddo's going to go. Gandhi's going to go. Um, uh, but the others are not, mm. and then they, so they have a bit of a standoff. It's a good sort of example of well, you yeah. know, the journey is maybe over for the team, and and Salo is just determined to go on. As I said, Kiddo's going, Gandhi's going, and actually Vincent is also yeah. going. Little guy, and, <laughs> and so then it's like, ugh, and there's a great little moment there of, oh no, wait up for us, yeah. <laughs> isn't it's there? Like, really? like, I think they sort they of looked at each other and thought. What else are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do now, you know? Because you imagine, like, this is the thing. You're a jugger. You may be, sure, you fight these brutal games, but then, yeah, you get the food and you get the women and you get the, you know, is it a better lifestyle than the the decaying sugarcane again? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's your path in this world? So, yeah, so they, they kind of chase up and they catch up. But to me, this is kind of really great writing of, of the world. You know, the bad guys close in, the world getting a bit, crappier or smaller or tighter or worse is that first of all it's hard to get into the city you've got to kind of queue and wait on this mountain and they only let in so many people into the mine and, shaft and surprisingly the yeah there's this little you know elevator yeah and you're thinking oh it's just a little bit down no nah, it's just like it's, go, it it's going and down and, and, and they're yeah. like lying down having a bit of a sleep <laughs> and you're like oh my goodness yeah how long does that and you it's cool how you see some levels open up isn't it and yeah. there's like one level where there's Really hot fire and a guy like guys, you know, pumping whatever. Some with the like an angle grinder, and then there's another level where there's angle grinder and stuff, which makes a lot of sense because it, it also shows though, that this city is considerably more advanced. Yes, not yeah. just having this elevator, but yeah, they've got 
pipes and machinery. Yeah. They've they've got plumbing. Well, they've... to run the elevator to begin with, right? Like yeah. you need something. So it's it's quite a an eye opening. And Kidder stays awake the whole way down, just like oh my goodness, yeah, eyeballing it all. So it's hard to get into the city. When once they're in, they go straight to uh, Solo. Go straight to Challenge. And so this is also another hard point is that they watch a bit of a battle happening. Uh, Salo and Kiddo, and she realizes, oh, it's a lot fiercer. Yeah, this is. Than the and I think also because they're sitting on that, that the fence there, yeah. and the guy that was squished up there getting hammered yeah. was the quick. Yeah. And she's like <laughs> looking at this quick going, oh, that could be me. Yeah, and he's kind of getting squished through the metal grate. Yeah. It's a lot fiercer. There's a crowd watching, there's the rich folk, there's. You know, it's the big leagues. It is what it is. It's intimidating. And... Oh, we, all, we also found out. She asked, yeah, how far did you get? Yeah. You know, asking Sallow. Uh, and he says, oh, you know, 26 stones. I can't remember where it came up, but he was like, uh, 26 stones. Yeah, like the length of the game. Oh, before you won? No. No. <laughs> That's the longest anyone's ever gone. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we see this this battle down here and it's like, oh, my goodness me. Mm. 26 stones, it's like half a minute or something. It's like, That's right, yeah. And so, yeah, they realise that if they want to fight... If they want to actually do this challenge, it's not just going to be challenging. It's going to be kind of a fight for their survival. Like they might die. They might get yeah, squished it's, up and it's eaten It's pretty up. serious. Yeah. And and so for me, this is also like the all is lost. This, this is what leads into that. Then Kiddo is confessing that she's too scared to do this. Mm. So it's kind of like... Because so they, they go in... Well, they, they go in, first of all, to uh, put their challenge forward. Yeah, they put the challenge forward. And they're... they're they're getting considered and, and Salo quickly scurries through not to be seen, but then obviously his enemy yeah. sees him and guy. has a little word with the judges. Yeah. And this is this is real, you know, bad guys closing in, yeah. sort of um, things are getting, you know, dark nighty yeah. where they're like, oh, oh, this is stupid. And then little Gar, when they're having dinner, basically Announces goes, he, he, he's basically... He's just about lost his hope, hasn't he? He's yeah. gone, oh, we would have done it if it wasn't for Sallow, but, you know, he had it all. He yeah. had everything and he gave it like, really? Mm. Did he Did yeah. he have it all? So so to me that's the all is lost moment because the, he announces that the challenge is not accepted. So the it's the death of the dream, you know what I mean? So yeah. for Kiddo it's, it's, you know, you don't even get to do the challenge. You don't even get to fight. You wanted to do that, you don't even get a chance yeah. to play in the league, you know. Um and so then she's kind of licking her wounds with um, Sallow yeah, and, they... and saying that, you know, she, she actually is saying, well, I, you know, we came here and uh, um, that was what I wanted to do. But you know what? I don't want to do it anyway. Like I didn't yeah. want to do this. Um, it's okay. Um, and they're in this awesome hotel, which is like just. Chain bunks on the wall. Chain bunks to the brick wall that they have to climb all the way out to the top. So. I, was, I was wondering, maybe this is like uh, an old mine. Yeah. And maybe that's like the mine face. Yes. And it's just like a, a great big mm. face there that's sort of... Terrific, again, showing the classes. And we get priv- privileged to the villain telling the... Um, Gonzo. Gonzo. Is it Gonzo the soldier? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The... the, the, uh, the Slash. Yeah, the, uh, the jugger. Uh, who is also in Mad Max, that guy. Yes. He he says, you know, oh, when you play play them tomorrow, you know, basically kills uh, Solo, right? Yeah. Like squish his brains out. And he's like, well, I don't really even like, no, you're going to do it. Yeah. So, again, it shows 
the class that even though you're in the leagues and this guy's well, won particularly lots of because games. they're up there in this luxurious dining section. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's you can tell food. it's luxurious dining is good food because it's a really big lizard. Yeah, that they've got. You know, not just those little ones you <laughs> no, saw, and it's cut up into tiny little pieces. Yeah, and there's and, someone serving it, and yeah, yeah Gonzo's all dressed up and he's yeah. in his finest. But again, it's like you can. T- it's like when the the owners invite the team yeah. to have the dinner and stuff, and like, and so you got the owner, and then you got the the actors and the um, politicians and so forth, like going, "Ooh, well, this is really interesting. We've got this sports players yes. here with us, <laughs> you know. Oh, I liked watching you in your game, mm. and and you do have that woman who I, that was actually a little bit earlier, but she like touched the the sports player, and they were all bloody, and yeah. she like then licked the blood. Yes, yeah, well. you know, she's like, oh, hello. Mm. Yeah, but you don't imagine any of these people asking for any advice no. or yeah, their input or, yeah, actually I've got a job that you might be interested yeah. in doing. Like, you know, <laughs> perhaps you could become a, you know, look after my finances or something. Yeah. No, 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 they're only just, it's just curiosity. Yeah. So even though Gonzi's all dressed up, he's got his fine dinner and he's, he's superficially enjoying the same mm. privilege as the rich people. Really, he's not, he's really just there as the entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's like a joker, like a clown, really, yes. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is like that. So they get the chance then to because of that, then we know that they're going to be fighting, and that's basically what's announced next day that the challenge has been accepted. Um, so they get to fight, and they they go into the arena, but no one else is it's, there watching. It's, it's empty. empty. The challenges are the 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 juggers are a bit different as well. They're kind of like the B grade team. <laughs> Except for Gonzo, they are confused when the Gonzo comes yeah. out. As, oh, you're here. You're here, but these guys are only challengers. So yeah. it's like, yeah, well, I'm here. Um, I will note as well. Awesome little bit of makeup that Gonzo's got that steel cull. Yeah, that, yeah, steel steel skull. Yeah, the plate He's got exposed. A plate in his yeah, because it's just kind of exposed and little bit gushy over the top of it. It, not... it does indicate a certain brutality. Yes, he's had his head cracked in at some point. Um, I also noticed quite notably this team, that uh, the challenge team, had goggles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, they wear your goggles, so yeah, I... that's right. Yeah, they know what happens. That's right, protect your eyeballs um, at all times, protect your eyeballs. So there's a fight scene, there's round one, 100 stones. Uh, so the time yeah. in, they make it, you know, like they get through that 100 stones. And Gonzo doesn't destroy Salo. In fact, no. he just tells the other guy to pin him. Yeah. And actually, actually, sorry, just before we jump there, to me, right, so they come out into the arena mm. and this is because this is an example of like climax, climax, is that Kidda says to Solo, so this is before they play round one, she says, oh, I'm frightened like we're going to lose. Like I, I never I never thought mm. I would. Uh, what did she say? She says something like. I, like I've never felt like this in the, in the match before. Yeah, because Could, I always sort of, had, I've yeah. always attempted to win. You know, I thought there was I, a possibility. I was always going to win. Yeah, it's always going to win. And whereas now we're going to lose. And he says, well, just well, win then. Win then. Yeah. <laughs> and it does. So to me, that's a great example of like, oh, she's like, oh, yeah. So it's like forming the plan, isn't it? It's like, like we'll try to win. Don't give up. The great thing up. is like, you don't ever learn anything if you don't lose something. No, that's right. You know, so yeah, first step to winning is losing. Try and, right? like, have and that's And that's why we have this first part here where they enter the battle, Salo gets pinned yep. and they don't score, but they do manage to just hold in there until 100 rounds is up. Except it, I think one of their um, 
Simba, big Simba is... She's knocked out. Yeah, yeah she, she got beaten yeah. senseless, maybe. They, they all got beaten, but they lasted the 100 stones. Yeah. And she's just a bit too injured. They go, oh, she can't stand. And automatically as well, the A-League, they just change out a couple of players. So they've got reinforcements. Yeah. But because they've lasted the 100 stones, we've had a bit of a flurry of a crowd. You know, so, the yeah. underclass again are like... They're still going. The juggers are still going, you know, so they've all kind of rushed in and, and even some of the upper class have come in to watch as well. Now it's obviously an interesting game. So then it's round two, all right? So we've had one crack at winning, no good, but we've lasted round two. Gandhi has can to come in. It? Yeah, so Gandhi comes in. He's the last-minute replacement. The 100 stones. <laughs> I thought that was, that was like really interesting. It was 100, like that guy, that, that's that guy's job is 100 stones, just to throw 100 stones at the thing. And I also love that he had a munted jaw. Yeah, he did. So clearly it's it's a tough life. Yes. Yeah, and so they fight. It's round two. They go for it. And really it really focuses in on Kiddo's fight, doesn't it, with mm. the new quick. And uh, he's sort of a bit more, you can tell that quick is a little bit more intelligent. Like he's not, he doesn't kind of crack on or do any slang, rip her tits off. It's yeah. like, no, like she's come for a long way. They've lasted. Yeah, um, going to do it. Yeah, you're going to do it. So they fight and they, they have a good kind of, you know, chess game battle where, you know, she's pulling his arms and he's pulling her legs and, he gets the dog's, dog's skull bone and gets away and then she clambers over the top of and him. We, and we also see a bit of this, uh, I think maybe it's B story there, where Sallow confronts Gonzo this time without yeah. being pinned. Yes. Because uh, I think he makes his other guys take out those people. So this is like his personal fight yes, now is, where he, he fights Gonzo. It's not that he had anything against Gonzo. No. They're, they're good friends afterwards as well, I'm sure. Yeah. But, but they, this is kind of... The symbol of him standing up, you know, showing Lord Vile that you know you can't keep me down because Lord Vile has told Gonzo to take him out. And did Gonzo tell him? No, maybe not. No, I don't think no, he but told they, him, but, but they, they do fight very seriously, yeah. And he, and he does, he overcomes Gonzo, yes. So that gives them the upper hand of an extra player. Well, yeah, I mean, it's because as soon as you get that one beater, in fact, again, my son said, why do they just, why do these guys with the six just fight each other? Yeah. And I said, well, because if they don't, then the, the fighter's going to take out the thing. And sure enough, beat up Gonzo. Yeah. And then Sally just sort of comes over and, you know, trips, trips over the quick <laughs> and like, because there's this quick versus big old Rutger Hauer with yeah. a big stick. Yeah. Uh, it gets knocked down and, and that's where that's like, uh, um, you know, Kidder is about to run off for the dog skull and he says, no, walk, take mm. your time. Yes. And she does. She saunters over and absorbs the, the adulation of the crowd. Yeah. You know, and, and, and even the stone thrower stops because he's like, you know, they've got yeah, it, don't they? They're going to win. He's heard a change in the crowd yeah. and so he turns around because normally the stone thrower and all these ones has got their back to the, yes. the game. Yeah. I guess that's important so they don't speed up or slow down based yeah. on what they're, they're you just know, supposed to count out. They're just yeah. counting it out. Anyway, she runs down and chucks the skull bone onto the stick. The podcast mic on the on the pointy yeah. stick, <laughs> nice and slowly. Yeah, sorry, she doesn't run down to that walk. That walk. And in salute of the juggers versus blood of the heroes, here there's just a small difference in that the celebration scenes they roll credits, so you just straight away um, there's the shots that remain in the film. But we start getting the titles over the top. We don't have any dialogue. The music kicks in. Versus in Salute of the Jugger, we have actually those scenes with dialogue play out. 
Yeah. It's not a huge difference in the meaning of the ending there. It's just kind of really shortened in the blood of the heroes. Yeah, so I think they're just really concentrating. And, and this is sort of what I was getting at with the end of the final image here where it's, you could, you could say it was purposefully shortened perhaps to draw more attention to the, un, you know, the this victory, the momentary victory, but there's still the uncertainty of what this means. Yes. And I, I genuinely think it would be good to have a sequel. You oh, could have a sequel of Kidda and her time in the league mm. and, yeah, perhaps discovering that, yeah, she's not getting all she wants and yeah. maybe there's some, you know, way that she could pivot this to help her family, help other people or something so that... Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's other films where the winning of the battle, the winning of the game means that the underclass have overtaken the upper class. Yeah. But in this film, that's not the suggestion. It's just they've just won this one round. Yes. So there's definitely the door is well and truly open for a sequel or, you know, more to the story because what does happen next, I mean, the upper class could just have soldiers come in and shoot them dead. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and that's fine. Um, they just keep the power. Or does Kiddo and this whole team, do they all become players in the league? Or do they kind of now live in the nine cities and their life rolls around that and they've got to kind of challenge the next level of the league? You so, know? so it'd I be think interesting. it'd be good if we could get uh, David Peoples Peoples to call my <laughs> peoples. Yes, I think that would be And then great. we'd have Peoples Peoples talking peoples. Yes, you have many peoples there. Mm, I mm. like it. So let's find out. But it's a great I, – what I thought, sorry, straight away is like I love how short and sharp that film is. It like is. That's a wham, bam, thank you, man. I know. And I was... that ending's like a great – you know, like they win. Yeah, kiddo made it to the league. She won the game. I know. What it... more do you want, sorry? So, sometimes <laughs> there's a there's that a tendency it. of some movies to be a little bit long. The number yeah. of times I sat down with my wife and go, let's let's watch this film. And I, and I bring it up and I sort of see it's like two hours and 15 minutes. I'm like – yeah. Oh my god! This can be like eleven o'clock at night. Come on, what do you think I am? A teenager? Jesus, yeah. you know. And so we—that's why we like the TV yeah. shows because you can watch one or one, two episodes yeah, right. and and you can cut it off at some point. And you end up watching three, and it's midnight. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> I put my foot down on that. That's, oh, that's happened down. a couple of times because yeah. then I wake up and we're both ratty in the morning, and the mm. kids for some reason also seem ratty. Oh, okay. I don't know why. Anyway, let's not let our story go on and on. And where would you put this onto the ladder? So we have the idea of the ladder of all the films we're looking at and kind of suggestions of maybe where you should watch one of the films where we've reviewed and chuck it in and created trilogy of sci-fi films. So what's yours? Where are you putting Salute of the Jugger? In along with a couple of other South Australian (laughs) films that we have done. You'd go on the Kubis PD special. Yes, so which so we've got Cargo, which yeah. is a post-apocalyptic sort of was zombie. Was that Cooper Pedy again? That was Cooper oh Pedy, South Australia. Or not Cooper Pedy specifically, town. But, but very near there. Bit near it, yeah. Yeah, and you can tell by the lighting. It's very difficult oh. to get the lighting other than that hard white Ooh, yeah. harsh light and pitch black, Yeah, which likewise is similar. And I liked these two on either side because the um, Slew the Jugger, quick, sharp, to the point, Exciting, and then you've got like cargo. Is it? It's got that slower, and it's got a different view mm, of the post-apocalyptic. Yeah, it does, yeah. But even though Pitch Black technically isn't apocalyptic, it's kind of got a similar setting. The the maroon on it this does. Um, 
forgotten planet, which has got like an old prospector's um, you know, town or, or mm. settlement in there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I like that idea just because it'd be, uh, yeah, if you're going to be doing your, your little themes and so forth, mm. like this is a good way of doing it. For me, I went more the action trilogy. So I think we looked at Revolt and Spectral. They're sort of big, you know, alien uh, action sci-fi mm. films. Mm. And so I thought that shoving this one, if you watch those three, I think you could watch it actually in any order really, but if you watch Revolt, Salute and Spectral, it's a real action-packed, violent oh, kind your, of sci-fi. Get your get teenage you, boy out. That's and... right. You know, this. if you've got teenage boys, probably this, this yeah, this movies are over. They'd have a lot of fun on a sleepover, wouldn't I was, they? I was more thinking that sometimes we have to look deeper than ourselves and find <laughs> yeah. that teenage boy. That's right. We do sometimes. A teenage dirtbag. Yes. Um, and, you, you know, th- these three, I think, would just get that adrenaline rolling and they're just good, fun action sci-fi, um, but they still... Have those thematic questions to it that that we're talking about. This film's really about that class question, that class division structure, which is quite often post-apocalyptic. Oh, I've just not been able to say that bloody word all night. Post, and I like it a lot. Apocalyptic. So. Yeah, that's right. Post, please forgive me out there, and then in your science, explain why I am not pronouncing that word properly. Sorry, you're having a stroke. That, that's right. Exactly. Oh God, getting old enough too. Good pain. <laughs> Well, tell us, though, what you would think would make a good trilogy with this salute of the jugger, blood of heroes. Mm. Are there other... We haven't done any other sports games sort of movies, no, have we? it's actually straight away made me really think of um, The Running Man. The Running Man. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's a really good sci-fi that's, one. That's you mentioned shit. Hunger Games. I mean, is Hunger Games a bit of a sport yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of. It's, it's sort of is, well, the first one is. Blood, yeah, the that, first one is, the first is one largely is about also winning the Hunger Games. Runner movie Maze as well. Runner, that, yeah. That's sort of like a sport as well. They get stuck in. A yeah, we're gonna, so. they've released the full series. Of that. Yeah, so, that's all. Well, some about. of the, this is actually a question we may have to consider: is that some of these movies are established stories, like the um, Hunger Games, mm. is a. Com- so, yeah, it doesn't quite make sense to watch just number two. No. No, like, you have yeah. to watch all of them. Alien now. and Aliens, uh, you could just watch number two. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I watched number two before I watched number one. That wasn't mm, a problem. Me too. And, um, you know, any number of these other films, uh, Terminator 2, you could also watch number two without could, number yeah. one. Like, yeah. I didn't, but uh, you could. Mm. But um, <laughs> Yeah, these, these more series ones. Series it's ones. a bit harder. We might have it? to question how we do that. Yeah, well, I think we probably just have to watch the three in a row or whatever. Yeah, and just yeah. do three episodes. Yeah. On we go. Anyway, let us know what you think. Should we do that or should we not? Should we not? <laughs> All right, sorry. What science are you going to talk about? I hope it's eyeballs. You promised gory earlier. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit brutal. <laughs> okay, get into but it. But it's not, not eyeballs. So Salute of the Jugger, it doesn't have a lot of science science in there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a few things there. And I, I was looking at things like subterranean cities, very yep. interesting. They've been used throughout history. I think mm-hmm. I might have mentioned them before, but... Uh, I don't know. Um, but I decided to go with some interesting modelling of nuclear holocaust. So if we're going to have an apocalypse mm. and it's going to be nuclear, like, and interestingly enough, this uh, paper that I'm reading from, it was sort of thought about and put together March 2020, mm. which in fact March 16, 2020, mm. which was the day mm. before mm. I got... <laughs> 
my little email that said, please don't come to work. You're staying home for the next foreseeable future. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so I, I have a feeling they're going, yes, people, this nuclear apocalypse research and interesting information. And then it's like, yeah, nah, we're kind of more interested about pandemics now. Mm. But nonetheless, I thought it would be interesting. So the, the doomsday clock. Doomsday Clock, yeah, yes. closer to the Doomsday Two Clock. Two Minutes to Midnight mm. is an Iron Maiden song about that. It's a very exciting song. It's very yeah. good. One of my favourites. But um, if you're going to look at apocalyptic scenarios, nuclear war is a genuine effort. You have pandemics, like zombie plagues, we know that's not going to happen. Aww. Not zombie plagues. <laughs> pandemics, yeah, likewise pandemics, uh, there's very few scenarios where that would actually pan out. The most realistic one I think is something more along the lines of children of men, which we'll have to do at some point, but the, the basic yeah. premise of that being that for some reason probably some sort of a disease uh, which nobody noticed, uh, which is how they can spread so well, um, people stopped having children. Yeah, the whole of Earth's population became infertile. Mm. See, that's that could be possible, and then we just age out, yeah. basically, where mm-hmm. our uh, birth rate drops below our replacement rate, and then we just age out. Mm. So that's interesting. But going back to nuclear bombs, because let's face it, if you're filming in Cupidity in apocalyptic science, and you've got a couple of people from Mad Max, it's the nuclear <laughs> war we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we've got the um, D- Department of Homeland Security. Basically saying, well, what what sort of effect would a various bombs have? And you've got such things as you're back in the eighties when Salute of the Jugger was done. It was the Cold War. Mm-hmm. You know that yeah. officially ended in ninety one, mm-hmm. but it's not like Russia has really behaved themselves well. No, since <laughs> um, you know, I mean, you know, I, I think it's mostly economic problems that have stopped them from being too bad until just recently, where they sort of got rich enough that they. They, they put someone in power who decided that it was a good idea to just, like, invade people. Um, but anyway, that aside, back in the 80s, if, you know, US and Russia exchanged, they literally had thousands and thousands of nuclear warheads. Mm. Um, you would genuinely get a um, doomsday scenario. Like, yes. Or it. Would. But would. What, about, what about we scale it back and look at just one warhead? It's like a kiloton, uh, 10 kilotons, which is, you know, that's a little baby of a thing. That's even a, li- that's a little bit smaller than what was dropped in World War II. So, Ooh. you know, it's easily one of these, just one warhead out of 10 mm. that sit inside of a, an intercontinental ballistic missile. So 10 kilotons, that's 10,000 tons of TNT equivalent. <laughs> I don't know how much one ton of TNT is, but I've, I've, seen, I've seen one of those <laughs> cubic metre bags of... Um, Dirt that they you know they yeah, transport yeah. around, that's about one ton. Yeah. So you can imagine that just being explosive and being set off. Like I've seen those little firecrackers, mm. and I'm just kind of going, okay. So you got ten thousand of those. <laughs> um, whew. Okay, so a ten thousand kiloton detonation. This guy Richard L. Garwin uh, from Department of Homeland Security in America, he analyzed a scenario in which you know some group of people, terrorists or criminals or you know, freedom fighters or someone who somehow manages to get a 10 kiloton nuclear warhead. Because mm-hmm. this is one of the problems we have is that when the Soviet Union was dismantled, uh, there's a number of nuclear warheads and so forth, which, for example, got left in 
ex-Soviet countries mm. and their governments are kind of a little bit shaky over the place and <laughs> organised crime. Yeah. There's, there's concern that genuinely someone could be selling these things. Uh, it turns out so far no one has because it's, I think even the organised crime are looking at that going, no, <laughs> no, I'm just not, I'm just not taking a 10 kiloton nuclear warhead, sorry. So anyway, he had a look and he said, so if one of these guys uh, or girls, let's be fair, yeah. it could be a girl getting 10 kiloton nuclear warhead. Could be just a douchebag as well. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, like going to like a, a, a dense major population. You can imagine in the middle of New York City yeah. or, you know, during or, um, you know, one of these uh, like in Perth when they have grand finals or something, mm. or Melbourne, yeah. sorry, with grand finals, you know, something like that. Yeah. And detonated at ground level. Mm-hmm. You end up with a lot of radioactive material mm-hmm. because of all the buildings and stuff. You know, the, the Hiroshima bomb detonated 500 odd meters, about 570 meters above the ground, so or half a kilometer up. It's actually quite quite high up, which means it didn't create a lot of nuclear um, dust because the um, all the nuclear material got basically blown up in the air, right. and you've only got whatever was in the bomb falling on the ground. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so a surface burst of a 10-kiloton explosive in a densely populated modern city, and this is what uh, old Richard's saying, would be even more devastating than Hiroshima City in 1945, which was a 13-kiloton 1-3 nuclear explosion at, oh, yeah, an altitude of 570 metres. So that, that blast knocked down buildings and the radiant heat from the explosions ignited fires and burned or incinerated people. But because the fireball did not touch the ground, there was essentially no radioactive material on the city. Prompt radiation, which is uh, the radiation emitted, emitted within a few seconds of the explosion, uh-huh. added very, you know, relatively little to the death toll, but it was pretty scary. Mm. So, in fact, uh, there's an interesting documentary about coming back to Hiroshima after you know, yeah. some anniversary, and they, they talked to a woman who was um, 50 metres away from the bomb drop. Like obviously, five hundred seventy meters up in the air. But yeah, you know, she was there. She was behind a building, and the bomb exploded five hundred seventy meters up in the air on the other side of this building. And they're talking to her like fifty years after or whatever it is. Mm. So yeah, it was it was pretty heavy, but not as bad as it could have been had they let it hit the ground. Right. So if it does explode on the ground. What we're looking at is yeah, invisible nuclear radiation. So this is the really serious stuff. That yeah. When we talk about radiation, this is what people usually think about mm-hmm. as opposed to, yeah. you know, like infrared and microwaves and stuff, which are relatively harmless uh, unless in massive doses. Uh, so with, back in the few microseconds, followed within milliseconds by thermal radiation from an expanding fireball. About six seconds later, uh, the nearest potential survivors would feel an enormous blast and wind. So the the fireball would, you know, start some fires and then you get things like broken gas mains and buildings catching on fire. Uh, there would also be a bit of a, a fallout uh, plume, which, you know, about half an hour after the initial explosion. So in the very first moments of the explosion, we've got this destructive overpressure, which is where, uh, you know, you've shifted so much air out of the way when this bomb explodes it actually pushes air out so it's like a massive speaker mm. um you think of your your worst subwoofer you've heard as a car goes <laughs> past and your windows rattle yeah yeah okay so that's that's overpressure. uh a 10 kiloton blast produces uh enough 
over pressure to knock down buildings and destroy an area uh, out to 5.3 kilometers. Wow. Yeah. So, you know. Massive. That's. If you're in a city. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's going to be a really bad day. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Also, it, the other thing, not only does it knock out down houses, but any loose objects or people become lethal missiles as they go flying <laughs> through the place. I, I love yeah. the way he mentioned people. <laughs> so, so yeah, you, you could be standing down the end of a street and it explodes and the people and cars and things down yeah. that street are going to yeah, get thrown at missiles, you. Yeah. yeah, so you'd end up with an, a crater. And if it's sort of, you know, dry soil, soft, dry rock, whatever, so you're not, you're not up in the Kimberleys where you've got iron ore just everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it would have a dome of about 75 metres, depth about 17 metres. So, yeah, that's that's not enormous, but that would certainly be, I mean, 75 metres, it's, uh, you know, a, a block. My house is being built at the moment and the empty block is 32 metres deep and then we've got our backdoor neighbour who has a similar size block of about 32 metres. Mm. So it would be a crater that would, you know, imagine from one street through to... Like houses depth through to the yeah. next side. So, yeah, pretty decent. The worst thing, though, of course, is the crater material uh, would be highly radioactive uh, and hanging around there would kill anyone being exposed. It would About half the people who hung around at the crater would die and then the bomb debris mixed with the crater material, which would be, you know, thrown to a big mushroom cloud into the stratosphere. That's the thing. Over about half an hour or so, you'd get this two-kilometre-wide, 20-kilometre-long plume following the winds mm. so here in mandra if it exploded it would go off towards uh you know um up towards thomas road quinana yeah uh probably inland byford yep 20 but not 20 kilometers wouldn't quite reach there but it'd, it'd be up that way the um so not too bad here but you can imagine if you're talking sydney or melbourne mm. it'd be quite you know that's all just uh radioactive dust which Anyone who was unlucky enough to get caught and breathe it in, well, yeah, it's leukemia and cancer time for them. Mm. So out to 500, so how, how big are these races of death? So 590-metre radius. I'm trying to think of that in terms of, I don't know, that's about 1,800 foot, I guess, if you're a Well, like times, it's a, that's like a football oval. 590 so, metres, half yeah. a kilometre. Oh, that's even more than that. Half a kilometre would be... Uh, well, uh, well as, as I said, it'd be like 10 house blocks yeah. end to end. So it's best part of a suburb. Sure. Like you'd just say, let's call it half of half of a typical suburb. Yeah. Yeah. That's considered a 50% blast casualty. Yeah. So they would kind of die pretty quickly. People out to 1.8 kilometers. So now we're talking some distance. Yeah. That's a bit over a mile. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, in a radius. That'd be fifty percent mortality from thermal burns. So that's the fireball basically yeah. catching you. Third degree burns. Uh, you'd be okay if you were lucky enough to have been indoors and not near a window mm-hmm. at the time. He points out this problem though is that when you get an explosion like this, you get the bang, boom, everything shatters. Moments after that it happens and sort of settles a bit. Everyone would be out in the streets. Yeah, everyone. Because they'd just... go, What the hell's just happened? Where's my friends and family? Yeah, yeah. How, what's going on? Well, you look for safety, right? As well. 
the sad thing, of course, is that's when you get caught in the firestorm yeah. because you, you get this fireball that's it's ignited a whole bunch of stuff and you get these very strong inrushing winds because you've had a, a shockwave is literally a force pushing you know, dense air out. Uh-huh. And so when that dies off, you've got a gap where there used to be air but now there isn't mm. so all the winds come rushing in and just stoke these fires you end up with a big big firestorm and yeah. hiroshima most of its devastation actually was because it burnt to the ground mm. and though we don't have as combustible buildings now you'd still be looking at uh, essentially everyone jumping out of their houses just in time to be caught in a firestorm yeah. isn't that wonderful not to mention that um uh the the, the, the toxic uh-huh. plume for about 30 minutes afterwards lovely so i'm not sure i didn't read into what you should do like is it best to in fact hide and and stick down in the deepest part of your house for like a couple yeah, of bomb hours shelter, right bomb shelter and then get out probably are or do you in fact want to try and risk jumping out as soon as you can no i don't think yeah. i reckon bomb shelter style you would yeah i think i think so as well at least give it a couple of minutes afterwards so you can yeah. tell when the actual Troubles have stopped. I guess the hard thing, of course, is is like if your house is on fire, yeah, you, know what I mean? uh, like you can't stay in it. I mean, the good thing know? is, of course, that these days houses, uh, certainly modern houses, are built fairly fire resistant. Like the, mm. the in order to be built, they have to resist fire for a certain amount of time. Yeah, like there's just there's not a lot to burn. Like it's all like I'm in in a brick room covered with plaster the carpet would probably burn you know you don't want to be in here when it's on fire roof beams but uh yeah it's not it's not like uh, you know you're in a timber town like london was when it burnt down yeah yeah. but the good thing is uh, just 10 kilotons that wouldn't be enough to knock out things like cell towers and infrastructure like you could have a bit of a power outage because uh the sudden loss of power in that explosion area would destabilize but it wouldn't be too bad. But that's just one 10 kiloton. So that's, if I'm looking there, it's like, I mean, that's at 1.8 kilometers. It's two kilometer radius. And there's, there's destruction out to about five kilometer radius. That's just one of these things. One of these um, basic missiles that America has, has 10 of these warheads in it. Wow. And they distribute. So when they, they come in over a city, they, they split apart, mm. you know, about a kilometer apart and they yeah. explode. So you'd be looking at something that would be possibly five times, like 20-odd kilometres across yeah, wow. of, and, yeah, I mean. The destruction. That, of that. That, would, that would cover Perth well and truly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, a, and the greater surrounding areas. Yeah. Um, and that's just one of these mm. missiles of which there are literally thousands. Yeah. Uh, and the reason this was brought up, actually, not, not just because maybe a terrorist might get a hold of one of these warheads, but in, say, 98, I think it was Pakistan and India were doing nuclear tests. Mm. And they, at the, at the time, had quite a bit of contention around Kashmir. Yeah. They're still not too happy about it, but it's, it's become a, a lesser concern these days. Yeah. And I think probably because they're, <laughs> they're just trying to uh, battle the, the tech giants and pandemics. But the concern was that, if they had a bit of a, fo- a fight, what would happen? Yeah, and I was reading some other modelling about that where they say, what if 100 uh, bombs went off in and around Pakistan, India? Mm. And I, I won't go into the, the full details of that, but that was 
that was an immediate death toll of about 20 million people, mm. which considering that the population of Pakistan and India, I thought that was quite restrained. Mm. But it's still, that's absolutely devastating. The yeah. big problem with that was it's entirely possible just from that limited exchange of having a nuclear winter, which would drop our food supplies by between 10 and 20%, mm. which would result in hardship and, and death for yeah. many millions of people yeah. everywhere in the world. So these things aren't localizing. You can't just have no. a localized nuclear exchange. No. Like if Russia decided to drop a couple of bombs on Ukraine and the NATO said, well, fine, we'll drop just a couple of bombs on Russia, mm. that in that itself will basically screw everyone over. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the war from Russia at the moment, like there's food shortages in Africa. Oh, yeah. yeah there's mass, mass food shortages. Yeah. So. I paid uh, unwittingly because I didn't check the price before I bought it. $30 a kilo for snow peas. Mm. So I, I bought a little because I, I buy a, a couple handfuls of snow peas to put in the kids' lunch. Yeah. And I got the thing and I, I paid it and I looked at it and it was like $8 worth of snow <laughs> peas. I was just like, oh, uh, uh, what? Yes. And then I checked it was $30 a kilo for yeah. snow peas and I thought, oh, oh, that's, um, I feel very privileged. <laughs> that's as expensive <laughs> as lamb. Yeah, you know, I did that about a month ago uh, at the local supermarket. I was just grabbing a couple items and it was just beans mm. and I only grab a handful, you know, to chuck in a stir fry and I was getting the chicken and I was getting, you know, some flavour and all this sort of stuff. Um, and when I scanned that and it was at the self-check, I was like $8 something for a handful of beans, mm. like a handful of beans. I was just like... Oh, and I kind of looked at it and I was like, well, I'm not paying. The chicken was $7. Yes. Like for a family of five, I'm spending $7 on the chicken to go in the stir fry. And the beans were over $7. It was $7 something. Mm. And so I called the girl over and said, I'm not having those beans. Yeah. Like I'm not paying that, you know, like, but but it's easy to get caught out. I, I, I had actually, because like, I'm doing, already paid and you moved I'm, on. I'm using that um, pay and go, shop and go, whatever it's called. Okay. A scan and go. Because I've got my card and everything set up, I just hit pay now. Ooh, thirty dollars a kilo. Like you said, <laughs> yeah. you know, chicken will will set you back for I don't know what, maybe twelve dollars to sixteen dollars a kilo at yeah. most. And yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> I I, so I, I I haven't bought snow peas since. Yeah, because I thought I'd rather buy steak. Yes, which also <laughs> costs about thirty dollars a kilo. Yes, that's right. Mm. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. So um, let us know what you thought about the science that's maybe been delved uh, up in Salute of the Jugger. Sorry, talking about, you know, the doomsday clock possibly. Possibly. And look, we are living in a bit of, you know, there's a lot, a lot of talk about the whole China's military capability with Taiwan at the moment. And, you know, they've been doing some military exercises, which they haven't done for years. And I I did hear tonight that... um, they're five years away from US parity of military capability. So, mm. yeah, you know, it's a different time, isn't it? Maybe that will be the next big, you know, war possibility, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I think they're going to, I think they will reclaim Taiwan soon. So it just depends if the world wants to stand up for here's, Taiwan. Here's a bit of a hot take from me. Just give it up, China. It's okay. What did you think about Salute of the Jugger? Have you seen it before? Did we hit the right kind of skull-cracking points tonight of this narrative? Let us know on Facebook and Instagram and all the other places that you can find us, TikTok and on our website. Get cracking on your film for the Film Festival Round 2. 
Space Brains is back, so get che- get checking on that and locking your the date into your diary and all those sorts June of things. June 17th. Okay, there you go. Sorry's got the date. So the June 17th, yes. <laughs> okay, there we go. But check, check an eye out. We'll keep, we'll keep reminding you, but get, get on to it. And let us know what you thought about the episode tonight. If you listen on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, give us a five-star rating or leave a review. And if, if you don't like the show, tell us. Tell us why. We want to make it better. We do. We keep trying to make it better. So let us know what you'd like us to do, like even what movie we should look at. But Sorry has chosen the next movie. Yes. I've not seen this one, so I look forward. It's much more modern than Salute of the Jugger, as in it came out in 2021. What are we looking at? Infinitum. There we go. I believe that's it. It's not infinitum. Infinitium. <laughs> but infinitum. You just sounded more Australian than you've ever sounded on oh, this show, you, bro. I think. <laughs> uh, not and, bro. Uh, yeah, bro. That's not Australian. Come on. Oh, mate. yeah, do you are, yeah, bro. Yeah, of course mate. it is, eh? No, you've been in New Zealand. Yeah, you're all, but all, the best, <laughs> all the best Australians are actually from New Zealand. You're just trying to offend another race, aren't you? Sorry. Well, Taika Waititi, he's a great Australian. Uh, he's, yeah, he's a great Australian right up there with, with like Russell Crowe and Neil. Sam Neill. And, you know, <laughs> Nicole Kidman. Tim Finn. Uh, know, like Olivia Newton-John as well, who yeah. just sadly passed away. Yeah, the whole I like, really realised she's not Australian at all. So. Yeah, I told you, all the best Australians are New Zealanders. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Infinitum, it's got Gandalf in it, so it should be pretty good. Okay, check you next time. See ya. Bye.